morning. It's good to see all of you here. I am Pastor Keith Nash, one of the pastors here, and uh, Pastor Mark has so graciously given me the opportunity to share the Word this morning. Uh, you know, we live in a broken world, and it seems that American society in, particularly, in particular has attacked and largely aimed its big guns at discrediting manhood and fatherhood in America. Their, their model seems to be in their commercials, in the sitcoms, in movies, to portray any time a, a, a character portrays a father, he is seen as stupid or, or un, you know, clueless, and any attempts at discipline that he might ex exercise is laughable. I mean, it's, and, and at the same time, we need to push back and remember fatherhood was God's idea. Fatherhood was God's idea. The, the picture is not that, that, you know, culture saw what fathers were and then we projected it on, oh, that's sort of what God is like. No, that's not it at all. God, fatherhood was God's idea at the beginning. And God said, here's what I'm like. Now, you fathers are to pattern after that. And uh, that's the picture. And more than ever, America needs godly men, godly fathers who will step up and bring wholeness into their families. Godly fathers bring lots and lots of positive things into the family. Uh, I went into the Bible, did the, used my concordance, and just looked to see what it had to say about fathers and fatherhood, and I, there was just a, a long, long list. And I just put together a very short list, just sort of a sampling. And here are some of the things that, that the Bible says godly fathers bring to their homes. They bring compassion. They bring, they, they provide a refuge, a protective refuge for their family. They provide discipline, order and discipline, and, and it's without embittering the family members. James 1.17 says the fa godly fathers bring gifts into the home. Gifts, just an unnamed number of gifts, and rewards, and a godly father is jealous for his family. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Zach preached a message on Jonah. It was a good one. And he drew us in by drawing the contrast, saying, jealousy is listed as one of the vices of, of fallen nature, of, of sinfulness. And we're not to engage in that. But at the same time, Zach said, God says, I am a jealous God. And that got me to thinking, what, what makes jealousy okay in one setting and not in another? The Bible is not contradictory. The Bible is for sure not contradicting itself. So the point of jealousy is, jealousy is being um, fiercely possessive or fiercely 
um, passionate for something extremely important, the, the, the first of uh, first importance, actually. And so typically what we do is we become jealous for our own rights and our own person and our own possessions. And that's where jealousy for a human being is wrong. But for God and for a godly father, it is right because God is jealous for His glory, the greatest, most important priority and value in the universe and His name. And human beings are created in the image of God. We have the stamp of God's image on us, and so it's right for us to be jealous for the dignity and care of one another. It's right for dads and husbands to be jealous for their marriage, to be fiercely passionate to keep other, other lovers out of that relationship, and jealous for their children to see that nothing comes into their lives that would damage them and ruin them and damage that image of God in them. Now, you might well ask, does the Bible picture, give a good picture of fatherhood? Well, it's all over in the Bible, but maybe my favorite, all-time favorite, is the story that's found in Luke 15. Um, it's a familiar story. There's three characters in it, and I want us to read that. And we'll find ourselves in that story. We'll find ourselves somewhere in that story. It's Luke 15 beginning at verse 11. I want us to read the whole passage together. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his younger son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and said, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came, came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Many people call this the parable of the prodigal son. I prefer to call it the parable of the prodigal father. Um, somebody, somebody, after reading this, said, you know, you know who was the most sorry for the return of the prodigal? Obviously, it was the fatted calf. <laughs> Back to the story, there are three characters. You'll find yourself somewhere in it because all of us either have a tendency to want to throw out the rules and just do as we please and live a carefree life doing what we want without responsibility, without consequences, just do what we, our heart dictates and enjoy our life with pleasure. Or we tend to be on the side of, of rule-keeping, doing it by the book, earning our way, trying to gain the a, a, the respect and affection and rewards of others and even God with our good works. We're sort of the merit badge kind of person. You'll find yourself somewhere in this story. And then, of course, there's the Father who is the picture that God gives us of the Heavenly Father for all of us. Now, this story is so famous that, uh, and so well known that Rembrandt painted a picture of it. Maybe, arguably, his most famous picture called The Return of the Prodigal. And in that picture, you'll see that the, the prodigal who is wasted and, and haggard is bowing before the father, and the, and, and, and the father is leaning over his son. And if you look closely at the two hands, you'll see that one hand is much more, much larger and more masculine, picturing a masculine picture of forgiveness. Men are maybe the best at providing forgiveness. And then there is a, a softer, smaller, more feminine hand there as well, suggesting that maybe a woman's compassionate touch is, is in this father's heart. And then, of course, there's the elder son who's standing on the side with his arms folded, disapproving of the whole thing. 
Well, let's begin with the wandering son, the wayward son, the, the, the carefree son, free spirit kind of son. One day he came to his father and he said, I want my portion of the estate now. This was insolence, disrespect, and, and trampled on the, on the ground his father's love, tender love. He didn't understand his father's heart at all. As a matter of fact, this son was saying, Dad, I don't care about you anymore. I don't want to be under your authority. I don't want your leadership. I am done with you. I would, as a matter of fact, just as soon you died so I could get my hands on my share of the estate. That was the attitude he brought. Now, the dad had every right to refuse at that point. He had every right to say, son, you don't, you don't do that. You don't say those kind of disrespectful things. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tighten the, tighten the reins here, and I'm going to teach you about submitting to authority. I'm going to teach you what it means to be a, a man. And I'm going to teach you a thing or two. And if you don't straighten up, I'm going to cut you completely out of the uh, estate and the will. Or he even could have, he had the right under Jewish law, he could have taken his son to the authorities, the local authorities, and he could have said, this is a rebellious son, he is incorrigible, and he is not submitting to his father, he's disrespectful. And the authorities, he could have submitted them, taken his son to be stoned on the spot. He had those rights. But instead, his father bore the crushing dishonoring internally. He took the pain internally, and he did what the son asked. He went through the process. This estate may have taken generations to build it to a, a place of, of good success and, and high, high uh, uh, affluence, but he did all. It took the steps to, to cash out the portion that belonged to the young son, and he gave the boy everything he asked for. And the passage tells us that not many days later, the young son, this rebel-spirited, free-spirited young man went off, and it says he went off to the far country. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean geographically far. More than likely, it suggests going to a place that it was morally the far country, or religiously the far country, or, or just the far country uh, in principle. Because in those days, there were Roman villages and cities that were right adjacent to Jewish communities. And more than likely, this young man just went down the road to the next town, and there began to live the wild life that he, that he lived with prostitutes and gambling and drinking and all the rest. And very quickly, his Degra degraded life, his degradation of the family 
That all made its way back home to his hometown. Very quickly, it was in the grist mill of gossip. And many times, no doubt, the family had to swallow their pride, swallow their honor in public as people whispered. He's, this, is the, this is the family that has that, that rebel son out there that's doing all those wicked things. No doubt when dad went into the hardware store, guys would be, that he normally would visit with and have a good time with were visiting, and when the dad walked in, everybody went silent. The shame of it all. As the father bore that shame silently. And the, fa- and the son wasted his inheritance, wasted it with riotous living, the passage says, spent his money quickly. And all of his friends, all of his supposed friends that were riding the coattails of pleasure, when the money was gone, the Bible says, Jesus told the story, the that a famine came right at that time. It was all gone, and the friends exited too. And then, in verse 14, we realize sin never produces what it promises. Ruin came, and he went looking to try to keep body and soul together, and finally he found somebody who would hire him, and it was a guy, a farmer, who sent him out to take care of pigs. And in the story, obviously the Jewish people that were listening to the story recognized that, that this was made him, he was at the bottom of the barrel now. He was beyond, beyond res- restoration. He was beyond fixing, beyond res- restoring him. It, he, was, he was a hopeless case. And then it says in verse 17 that, well, before I get there, let me remind you, he was so destitute and so hungry that he actually competed with the pigs for the slop, the the food that the pigs were eating to try to satisfy his hunger. And it reminds me of a passage in Proverbs that says, to a starving man, even what's bitter tastes sweet. And then one day, there in that pigsty, verse 17 says, when he came to himself. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? How do you come to yourself? How, I mean, how do you come to yourself? We have a, we have a, some, a similar idiom in our language when somebody is unconscious, they, we talk about them coming to, coming to their senses. That's what Jesus was saying here. When this young man came to his senses, began to think about home. I suspect it was something like this. What have I done? What was I thinking? And he began to see his father in a new light. Why, why did I do that to my father? What was I thinking? My dad treats his hired hands, his servants, better than I'm getting treated. 
I had it so good. I threw it all away. And it's at that point the boy begins to think, I'm going to do what is the most difficult thing that I've ever done in my life. I'm going to go home and face the music. But he began to, to rehearse a little repentance speech or apology speech he was going to give to his father. And he said, I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me. Would you see it in your heart to make me one of your hired servants? The Jews, the Jewish people, the rabbis of that day, had a similar story to this one that's, that we know here. And, there, and in, the, in the story that the Pharisees or the, or the, 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 the rabbis te told, in this story, they had, a wayward, he had, they had a wayward son, and when the wayward son came back, he asked for forgiveness, and the father said, you're right, son, you did me great wrong. You need to learn to live better than that. And so I will take you back. You're right. You've discounted being considered a son. I will make you a servant, and I'm, you're going to learn to live better. That's the Jewish, that was the Jewish version. And so the people listening, the ones that were listening to this story must have thought, well, that's where Jesus is going with this. And so the boy got up and headed for home. Now enter the second character in the story, the father. I think he's the central character in this story. I think he's the main character of the, the whole account. And he has borne the shame of it all internally, silently. He has wept bitter tears over the waywardness of his son leaving. Because, you know, once a parent, always a parent. You never stop being a parent. And he must have wept many a tear over his son. He must have thought about his son endlessly. And he must have looked down the road over the horizon many a time. Because it says that while the, when the son was a, yet a great way off, he spotted him. He was watching. I wonder if he thought, wonder what? my son's doing today. I wonder if he'll ever come home. I wonder. I wonder if I'll ever be able to tell him how I feel about him again. And then one day, when he looked out, he saw coming over the horizon somebody he immediately re recognized because he knew his son well. He recognized him and his eyes lit up. Now in those days, <clears throat> somebody of means, somebody of high regard in the community would always bear themselves respectfully. You would never run in public, especially with the wealthy garments and robes that a man of means would wear. 
But when dad saw his son coming over the horizon, he, did, he threw caution to the wind, and he started running down the, the lane, pulled up his, his dignified robes, and he ran like a high school track runner. And the servants, the hired folks in the, on the estate were bewildered. What's going on here? What is he doing? And they just kind of trail along bewildered behind him. And he runs down the road. Now when the father and the son get close and see each other's faces well, and the boy lifts up his head and sees dad almost on him. That could have been a very awkward moment, but the dad never let it be that way. Dad never let it be an awkward moment. He ran full force and grabbed his son in his arms. And before his son could even say anything or resist, he buried his head in his, fa- his son's sh- uh, shoulders and hair and wept and wept and the sun broke down and no doubt they wept together for a long time. Finally, when they brought themselves, you know, to compose themselves and got the, t- the tears stopped, finally, finally, by now the, the hired servants and the hired hands are all gathered around watching in silence. And the sun begins his little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. No longer worthy to be called your son. Dad stops him right there, cuts him right off. So that's enough. No more talk like that. You're my son. No more talk like that. And he turns to the servants and he says, quick, bring the best robe in the house. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Family members wear the good clothes. Family members wear the best. And put shoes on him. Slaves don't wear shoes. Sons wear shoes. Put shoes on him. And then put a ring on his finger. That was just like the the modern cor- uh, the correlation to the modern credit card because it was with the ring, the insignia on the ring that a person could stamp the wax on a legal document and seal it officially. It's like, a mo- like the modern day credit card. Gave his son who just had come home after squandering half of the estate, gave his son the credit card, said, you're my son and you get all the honors and privileges of sonship and kill the fatted calf. You know, in those days, there, in, a, in a well-to-do family, there was always one animal that they saved and, and fed specially to fatten up for special occasions like a wedding or an upcoming ceremony or, a, or an anniversary or whatever. The dad says, He interrupted the process of what that was saved for. He said, this is the occasion. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party tonight. Before my son was dead, he's now alive. He was lost. He's now found. We're going to celebrate. And so the party begins. Enter the third son. This is the son. This is the 
the, the, the point that Jesus was trying to make of the story, by the way, for those of us who are more, more responsibly oriented, the, younger, the older brother, the older son, had been working out on the back 40, just like he had done for years. He was up early every morning, had his breakfast, went out and worked all day hard, was responsible, always did his job. All, no, Dad never had to look over, look over his shoulder. He always got the work done that needed to be done. And he'd work hard into the evening, come home, eat a quick supper to bed. Never did anything out of line. You know, there are some of us who just are wired that way. We're going we're gonna to deserve it. We're going to make people respect us if we do, don't do anything else. And so this boy, he comes home dead tired, tired after a hard day's work under the hot sun. And when he comes into the, the yard of the household, the estate, he, 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 he hears musical instruments playing, and he sees dancing, and he's bewildered. What's going on? What's going on? Dad didn't talk about this at breakfast. We didn't have any conversation about this. wonder what's going on. And he catches one of the hired men and says, hey, what gives? What's going on here? And the hired man says, breathlessly, oh, you haven't heard. Your brother's just come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf for a party. We're having a party tonight. And if you'll go clean up, you can get in on some of it. Older son. Can't believe what he's just heard. He is furious. The slow burn begins inside. He is furious. And he is so angry. He's also borne the shame of, his, of their family reputation being drug in the dirt. He's also had to bear the, the whispering in the background. And he also knows that the estate just about went under when his father cashed out half of it. And he knew what it took to work and get it, bring it back. He can't stand it. He doesn't, he refuses to go in. When the father hears that, he comes out. He tries to encourage junior number one to come in. And now the, the, young, the, old, the oldest son breaks into a rant that's been seething inside maybe for years, pent-up resentment. And he he unloads on his father. He says, all these years I've worked hard for you, Dad. If anybody, if anybody ought to be giving, being given a, a party, it ought to be me. I'm the one who deserves it. I'm the one that, we're, I'm the one that works hard. And now, and you never once gave me even a goat to celebrate with my friends. Now when this son of yours, he doesn't even dignify this with calling this brother a brother. He says, when this son of yours 
comes home who has squandered the estate on prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. That's not fair. It's at this point that the father very, very appropriately could have said, you don't, you don't understand. You need to button up and let things go as I planned them. He could, have ta- he could have reprimanded his older son right there on the spot. He, or he could, have said, he, he could have said all kinds of things because this son, this respectable son who never did anything wrong, didn't understand the heart of his father either. He thought he had to earn his father's love. He thought he had to earn it. His father loved him without the need to earn it. And the Lord, this father says something wonderful right at this point, one word. He said, son, son, those of us who are merit-oriented need to dwell on that word for a while. The Father didn't turn his back, doesn't turn his back on those of us like that either. He said, Son, it's appropriate, it's proper that we should celebrate. For your brother was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and he's found. It's only right that we celebrate. See, neither one of the sons understood the the heart of their father. Both of them were in the far country in their minds, their hearts about their dad. God is seeking to be your father who loves you and me with or without deserving it because it's in his heart to love. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, I pray for your, you to crush us with your great grace, mercy, and love. Crush us afresh with this story, with the a fresh vision of who you are. And may the love of Jesus capture us all over again. Jesus' name.